Good morning, church. Go ahead and pull out your notes, something you can take notes with, pull out your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 6. We have officially moved on from Genesis chapter 1, but we'll see. I mean, everything, everything goes back there in some, some way. If, if Sam is everybody's favorite pastor at this church, I think Christine's everybody's favorite person at this church. <laughs> I love Christine. <laughs> we love Christine. Oh, man. Praise the Lord. We are starting a new series this morning as we go through the Lenten season up to Easter, all about prayer. You've heard a lot about prayer already this morning, and you're going to hear a lot more about prayer this morning and for the next few weeks, and I'm excited about that. As a pastor, I get a lot of questions about what prayer is and how to do it. And as a Christian, I have a lot of questions about what prayer is and how to do it. Anybody else? My guess is that uh, you probably know you should pray. You probably try to pray sometimes. You probably know you should pray more. You probably don't think you're that good at prayer. You probably know somebody who you think is really good at prayer, and they should totally pray (laughs) for you and Nick should count because they're extra good and you're not that good at it. Am I right? Like, what what, what is prayer and how to do it? We've got, got, when it comes to prayer, there's a lot going on. We've got... um, you know, so we got the rosary or tongues or contemplation, shouting prayer, yelling prayer, silent prayer, prayer lists, unspoken prayer requests, thoughts and prayers, prophesying prayer, listening prayer, deliverance prayer, freedom prayer, healing prayer, inner healing prayer, <laughs> personal prayer, corporate prayer, intercession for the nations. Praying the word of God, prayer meetings, prayer movements, prayer revivals, prayer tents, prayers up. I'll pray for you. Please pray for me. I'll pray about it. Let's pray. Who wants to pray? Somebody pray for us. We're going to take the next seven Sundays to learn from Jesus about prayer. Jesus, what is prayer and how do we do it? What is prayer and how do we do it? And the series that we're doing for these next few weeks is called Union, Communion, and Partnership. I told the staff that this morning, and Steph Hines goes, oh, cute. (laughs) And I was like, okay, we're going to change the title. (laughs) Mud, trucks, and guns or something. (laughs) Union, Communion, Partnership. Matthew chapter 6. Go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of God. (laughs) Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us. We look forward to hearing from you this morning in our time together. We pray that you would be with us, Holy Spirit. And reveal the Father to us. Remind us of Jesus. Lord, like I've said, I just really want to learn from you. How to pray. And what, what, is, what is prayer? We, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to hear you. We want to come to you. We want to be shaped by you. We want to follow you, Lord Jesus. So thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Open it up to us. And open us up to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. In Matthew chapter 6, we are picking up kind of right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is describing the Christian life. Throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus displays the Christian life that we are called to live uh, many times throughout this series or the, throughout this sermon, he, he demonstrates the Christian life for us by painting two contrasting portraits for us to see. One portrait he paints is to show us what is right by showing us what is wrong. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Do not be anxious for your life, for you cannot even add an hour to your life with all of your worry. You have heard that it was said. He paints a picture One picture for us oftentimes of what is wrong in order to show us what is right. The second portrait then he will often paint is to show us what is right by showing us what is right. Blessed are you when you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Anybody who's ever read the Sermon on the Mount, are these things sounding familiar? You see, he oftentimes is showing us these two contrasting pictures. And as Jesus prepares to teach us about prayer here in Matthew chapter 6, he again paints for us two portraits. Two portraits to show us the life that we ought to be aiming to live. The first portrait that he paints in the scripture that we read this morning is of a man who loves to do his righteousness in order to be seen by others. He loves to do it out in the open 
so that others can see him. He likes to pray in the streets and be loud and to be heard. He throws up empty phrases and many words. And he does it so that others will see him. He wants the reward of others seeing him. He wants the affirmation of those who hear him. And they do hear him and they do see him. And he does get his reward. He gets his reward from them. The second portrait that Jesus paints is of a man who does his acts of righteousness in secret. He even aims to keep his right hand and his left hand uninformed about what the other is doing. He likes to go into his room and shut the door to pray. And it's not so much because he's interested in no one seeing him, but because he's interested in the one seeing him. He knows this one. And he knows that the eyes of the one who he knows that he is seeking to please are not attracted to what happens out in the streets. But this one's eyes are attracted to what he sees in secret. This is the one who sees in secret. Back in 2021, we took about 18 weeks or more, I think, to go through the Sermon on the Mount together. And one of the things that we talked about was how, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus often taught in icebergs, what we called icebergs. He, he oftentimes would speak in icebergs. He would say something that was true and it meant something, but it was just the tip of the iceberg. And his teaching was this invitation. You, you can take what's on the surface and you can learn something from it, but there's so much more if you'll dig for it. There's so much more if you'll go down beneath the surface and ask him for more. Not different, more. He would say something, or like we've talked about today, he would paint a portrait. He paints portraits for us to explore. He does this as an invitation to us to explore more of his teaching. So this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 6, we see these two portraits. We see this man who likes to do his stuff to be seen by others because he likes that reward and he gets that reward. And then we see a portrait of another man who likes to do his things in secret. Not because he doesn't want someone else to see, but because there is only one who he wants to see. And he wants the reward from the Father in the secret place. And he gets the reward of the Father in the secret place. But these portraits aren't just pictures of two men. They are that, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's just the tip of the iceberg to look at two people and how they live their lives. Jesus is painting for us portraits of two different worlds that we all inhabit. He paints for us the portrait of the outer world and the inner world. He's showing us that we have an outer life that we can all see, and that others can see. And we all have an inner life behind closed doors in the secret place, the life of the soul. It's underneath the surface, and it's not quite so visible as the outer world is. Both of these worlds that, that you inhabit as one person 
Both of these lives that you live as one person exist. And they both very much matter. And, and God sees them both. And God very much cares about both the outer world and the inner world. And in the grand scheme of things, they're not even really separate because it's all you, right? But they're not separate, but they're also not the same. They're not the same. And because they're not the same, it is imperative that we not only as Christians and followers of Jesus... It's imperative that we, we not only order our outer world according to the teachings of Jesus, but that we let him come into our inner world as well and put things in the right order and in the right place. We have to have our outer world and our inner world ordered by Jesus, but we also have to have them rightly ordered in relationship to each other. So write this down. Here's what I mean. Your outer world that shows evidence of the kingdom of God. Should have a slide for this so that you can actually write it down. <laughs> Your outer world that shows evidence of the kingdom of God must flow from the substance of the kingdom of God in your inner world. Your outer world that shows evidence of the kingdom of God must flow from the substance of the kingdom of God in your inner world. They both matter. They're both real. But in this sense, one must come first. The gospel must take root on the inside. The fruit of the branch has to come from the unseen life of the vine. One of the foundational kingdom principles that Jesus builds his teaching about prayer on is that the, in the kingdom of God, there is reward for righteousness. We can't miss this. This could be something we shy away from or, or, or maybe don't fully understand, but we've got to dig into this here because in both portraits, the person gets a reward. Do you see that? That's a common denominator between the two portraits. Both men receive a reward. And so Jesus is teaching us that in the kingdom of God, there is a reward for righteousness. There is a reward for the actions that you do with your life. And I know we've talked about this before, but we can't ever forget this or skim over this. There is reward for righteousness. That's a good thing. Don't be scared that we're getting dangerously close to legalism. Just come with me here. In the kingdom of God, there is a reward for righteousness. Just let that be exciting for a second. Let that be good news that your life matters. It matters how you live your life. There is a reward for righteousness. You need to know this. You need to believe this. You need to want this. You need to be motivated by this. You need to love this. This is one of the many outrageous realities of the gospel. So we are dead in our sins and trespasses, right? So God himself takes on our flesh and he lives the perfect life that we can't live. He dies the death that we owe and then he raises to conquer the death that conquers us. Not, and he does all of that not just for himself, 
But he does that so that we can come to him and we get to receive the death that he died. We get to receive the life that he gets raised to. And we get to receive his righteousness. That is wild. Then, when we live in Jesus' righteousness, by the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives, the Father gives us eternal rewards for doing it. What is this? What is all this? This is crazy. All of that is on the table for you. All of it. Like we've always said from the beginning, salvation is an invitation, not just a destination. It's not just like, oh man, now like I got saved so I get to go to heaven someday when I die. You get to live in the righteousness of Christ now. And God's going to reward you for it forever. Every time you make that decision, every choice that you make, every time you endure and you stay strong and you stay faithful and you persevere and you obey and you choose holiness and you choose righteousness when your flesh is screaming at you and when the world is trying to drag you into all these other things, when you pick that world that you cannot see, when you set yourself towards the Father who sees in the inner world and take your eye off the outer world that's calling you to itself for this temporal reward, the Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. It's on the table for you. It's on the table for me. And not only is this all on the table for you from God and by God, but he really wants you to receive it. He wants it for you. He wants it for you. Jesus wants you to receive the reward of living in his righteousness. And and let's just talk about this more. Because how many of you know right now, when you live in righteousness, it's rewarding. Like, you don't have to inherit all the consequences of the sin that you didn't commit. Praise the Lord. So you get this reward now, but then you get this eternal reward too. And like, Jesus wants you to receive the reward of living in his righteousness, which is why he's giving us this teaching. And it's like... When you understand and you see what he's doing, you begin to hear the, the yearning in his voice. When he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will receive no reward from your father who is in heaven. The God who gives the rewarding took on flesh to come to you. And then he used words that we can understand. And he's telling us plainly and clearly, watch out. I want you to get this so bad, so watch out. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then, for then, I just want you to know, is then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You can have reward, but then... But if you do that, you will have none. 
And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I'm telling you, they've received their reward. That's it. That's all they get. They got exactly the reward they were after. The Word who became flesh and was in the beginning, who was of one substance with the Father, the eternal Son of God, for whom and by whom and through whom all things were made in heaven and on earth and under the earth and who holds the universe by the word of his power understands how this goes. He knows what he's talking about. He understands how all of this goes. He understands how everything works. And he is calling you beyond the outer world and into the inner world of eternal reward. Jesus is calling you. As Christine told us, he is standing at your door knocking. He is knocking, calling you, inviting you, petitioning you, beckoning you into the inner place of eternal reward. Beware of pursuing an outer life at the cost of an empty inner life. This is what Jesus warns us about over and over again. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Do not worry about your life that you cannot add even an hour to because of all of your anxiety. Do not be a whitewashed tomb or a cup only cleaned on the outside. He says, do you not know that in that day some of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will tell you, depart from me. I never knew you. What is it worth, I ask you, to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Do not gain the riches of the world but have zero treasure in heaven. The man who hears my words but doesn't do what they say is like a man who builds his house on the sand. And when the wind comes and when the rains fall, great will be the fall of that house. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I'm telling you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We are so tempted to measure ourselves and to measure each other by our outer worlds. What do I say? What did I just say? How did it sound? 
How did it look? How do I look? How does he look? How does she look? How, how, long, how long did I pray? How long did that last? Was it long enough? Somebody probably prayed longer. What did somebody else think? What did somebody else say? But Jesus, in his eternal kindness, teaches us not to measure by the outer world, to be seen by others, where our reward is whatever we get from others. There are things about the kingdom of God that terrify me. This in Matthew 6 and the whole build the house on the rock versus sand thing in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, the question is not if you get a house built. It's will it stand? (laughs) I could get a great looking house built, but will it stand? And Jesus here in Matthew 6, the question is not if you will receive a reward for your life. You you can live for the reward of others and, and get it. And that is all. And Jesus teaches us, don't don't live for that. Don't live for that reward. Not because you won't get it, but, but because you will. And then it's over. Instead, Jesus invites us into the secret place. Into the inner world of prayer and righteousness. To be seen and to be known by the Father. The Father. He doesn't, he could have said, he could have said so many things. Go, go and see the king who lives in secret. Go and see almighty God who sees in secret. Go, go and see the alpha and the omega who sees in secret. It says, come and see the father. Come into the inner world with the father who sees in secret. And your father, your father who sees in secret will reward you. before we spend the next six weeks talking about how Jesus taught us to pray, we need to understand what Jesus taught us about the reward of prayer. Because it's, he, he's teaching us that it's the reward of prayer that drives prayer. It's not just the how to pray that drives you to pray. You're not going to pray more when you just know how to better. That's an outer world thought. You're not going to pray better when you just learn how to better. That's an outer world measure. If I just figure out the right words to say and figure out how to go longer and how to sound stronger. No, no. Jesus, he's getting at your inner guts. He's speaking to your soul. He wants to speak to you about that Reward that will drive you to the inner place, the place of eternal reward. So, what is the reward of prayer? The reward of prayer is union with God. Unity with God. The reward of prayer isn't that you did it 
and you said the right thing. And God liked it enough to hear you and answer it. Meaning he gives you what you want when you want it the way you want it for free. The reward of prayer is connection with God. Union with God. In John 15, Jesus said this in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. That includes you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever, that includes you, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. We've got to believe this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing spiritual. (laughs) You can do nothing apart from me. John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, he begins to pray, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you. What is eternal life? That you would be unified with God. Union with God. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is the reward of prayer. Eternal life. Knowing God and Jesus Christ. Presence. Real presence of the real God. Real The reward is is knowing him and being known by him. Just, we haven't even talked about saying anything yet. We're just talking about union, connection, presence, union at the throne of grace where you receive help and mercy in your time of need. What is the reward of the father who sees in secret? The reward of the father is the father himself. This is the reward of prayer. It's more important than something happening. It's more important than getting an answer. When you go into the place of prayer, you get him. You remember him. You see him. You experience him. You get swallowed up in all that he is. You get detangled from all of your other allegiances and your bondages and your distractions. And you become unified with the Father. The reward of prayer is communion with God. Communion with God. You become unified with him, and then you get to commune with him. You get to relate to him and with him. And he gives you measures of understanding and of revelation of who he is. Not just what he does, but who he is. 
Again, in John 15, verse 7, Jesus promises this, this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, I've communed with you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Union. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Communion. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We get communion. We, we get to hear his word and have it rest in us and on us and through us. And his word abides in us. And when he speaks and we hear him, we commune with him in that deep place of union, we get to know him. We get to know what he says. And like Sam said last week, we can't do what he says until we know what he says. And so we get to know what he says. We get to know who he is. You get to listen and hear him. And then you get to obey him by love, or you get to love him by obeying him and doing what he says. We get to hear from from him and become friends, friends with the Father. Luke 11 says this, and I tell you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? See, you come in to the place of prayer and you unify with God, and then he begins to speak to you, and you go from, I don't know what to say, to now he just told me what to say. And he told me that if I pray exactly what he gave me to say, he would give me what he promised me he would give. He says, come in. What you need is me, and so ask of me. Seek me, and, you, and, and look for me. Knock on my door. I'm knocking on your door. Learn from me and knock on mine. Ask, and I will give you myself. Ask. And I will give you myself. This is what you say. I need you, God. I'm asking for you. I'm looking for you. I'm knocking on your door, oh God. In Romans 8, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Did you know you were in the Bible that explicitly? <laughs> but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts 
knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What do I say? Let him say. (laughs) Hear from him. Say what he's saying. Let him intercede in you and through you. When you come into the place of prayer, you get the reward of relationship, the reward of listening, the reward of speaking, the reward of learning, and the reward of receiving. And the reward of prayer is partnership. The reward of prayer is unifying with God and communing with God. And when that happens, your understanding of him turns from seeing him as a genie who will do your thing if you just say the right thing. And now you see him as your father who has invited you to come and inherit his kingdom with him. Obeying what he says is not to get something from him, but in order to partner with him in what he's doing. Believing what he says is not because you should, but because you now know him. And you have heard his voice. You have heard him speak. And you want what he wants. You desire what he desires because you love him. Doing what he is doing because you know he is right about everything. That's why you do what he wants. You partner with him in intercession, in obedience, in faith, in hope, and in love. And as you experience union and communion with the Father, he teaches you how to partner with him as his son. You don't need to perform out in the streets. Chase the temporary rewards of the outer world or heap up empty words to try to impress God. When you come into the secret place of prayer, you get him. You get him. You get to know him and hear him and you get to be included in what he's doing in his kingdom. (laughs) Adoption. Partnership. Inheritance. That is the reward of the place of prayer. So over these next few weeks of Lent, I'm inviting you to pray more. (laughs) I told you this on Wednesday. It's like the worst practical exhortation a pastor can give. Like, I know, pray more. But seriously, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's pray more. I'm I'm, I'm asking you to pray more. Like Sam said, if you haven't listened to the message from Wednesday, please do, as we talked about how we can participate in this. I'm encouraging and I'm exhorting you to participate in Lent through fasting and through some abstinence and through prayer. Step into this season of remembering him, remembering the resurrection, remembering salvation. Fast from something, abstain from something, and pray more. If you fast from something and abstain from something, you'll pray more. Because you keep coming up against the thing you're fasting from or abstaining from, and you'll remember, I should pray. But come into the corporate place of prayer as well. Come into the place and let us learn together. Let's learn together how to pray. So we've already talked about this again today, but we're going to keep talking about it because God, like Christine said, is knocking on the door of the secret place. And he's saying, come in. Come in to me. He's calling you in. And this this little Lent season is an open door to come in and experience union and communion and partnership with God. So would you put those corporate times back up again? I'm inviting you, 
What I'm hoping is that you hear Jesus inviting you into a deeper place of prayer over these 40 days. And I am exhorting you to take up his invitation. I know I am, and I really don't want you to miss it. Pick one of these corporate prayer times to commit to over these 40 days. And it's like, well, it says go into the secret. Like, we're not out in this, it's not about showing up for somebody else. What we're trying to do together as the body of Christ, as sons of God together, as those adopted in the Lord, we're trying to come together and we're saying, Lord, okay, on Sundays we want to come and we're going to learn from you what you say, and then we want to put it into practice together because we're all just a bunch of kids trying to figure this thing out, but we're committed. We're committed to doing this. If you don't do this, these are just going to be like seven lectures that you heard. And that'll be your reward. You heard a series on prayer, but come into the place of prayer. Come into the place of prayer. Let us come into the place of prayer and meet with the Father in secret. I want you to stand as we wrap up our time together. We're going to have our prayer team up here. If you need prayer for anything in your life today, come get what you need. I'm going to pray for us that we would hear the Lord and respond to him today. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who knocks at our door and calls us in. We thank you for this warning that you have given us and we want to have ears to hear. We pray, oh God, that we would be people, especially over this Lenten season, that we would come in to the secret place with you. And we're asking, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Teach us who you are. We wanna know you. Come and make your home in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray and set ourselves towards the Lord together.